Okay, let's go ahead and look at our scripture that can be found on page four as we continue our sermon series on the kingdom of God. This is a, a longer passage, so dig in and stick with me because it's all about what is going to happen. Who are we to be when Christ comes back? 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 58. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory for the stars, for stars differ from star to star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you all a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of the Lord. Well, if I were to ask you a question at a cocktail party, what would be the one that I would lead with? It would be this one. Which superhero would you like to be? I think it's a very relevant question, right? With all the superhero movies coming out, Shazam is coming out, and I await with bated breath for that movie uh, from my childhood of watching Shazam. And I wonder, uh, what superhero would you choose? I don't know. I asked my wife this question, and she wanted to be Scarlet Witch which I think is a very bad idea for a pastor's wife. 
you introduce, what's the name of your wife? Well, she's Scarlet Witch. Oh, how PCA of you. No, no. I thought about my own question. What superhero would I want to be? Perhaps Captain America because of his integrity? No, no. uh, Superman because of his tremendous strength? No, no. I would rather go old school. Would you please reveal the superhero I would like to be? Captain Caveman. Oh, yes. Remember this primitive superhero and his abilities were his uh, ability to stash a variety of objects in his hairy body that he would pull out at the appropriate time as well as his club, which he could fly with and had a variety of go-go gadget uh, gizmos. Yes, it would be Captain Caveman for me. I think there's a deeper reason why we watch and put out superhero movies and why we want to be a superhero. I think the reason is because in our heart of hearts, we recognize the truth that we were meant to be invincible. We were meant to triumph over evil. We were meant to triumph over death. Notice how they get so close to death and yet always they escape its clutches, triumphing over it. I think we want to be superheroes because we are meant to be invincible and we realize that we are not. Because the truth of the matter is death is very real and very powerful. So much so that we have tried to put it in a box, taking it out of our homes and tucking it deeply in the bowels of a hospital that you have to go through four doors to even see. We don't like to talk about death. If I was to go back at that dinner party, you know, they say there's two subjects you should never bring up at a dinner party. Well, that's religion and politics. But may I suggest a third? Don't bring up death at a dinner party. Don't bring up death ever, because people go blank when you discuss it. They tuck it away. They don't have an answer for death. I've said this before. When you go to the funeral of someone who is not a Christian, the number one emotion that people experience is embarrassment. They don't know what to say or what to do because we are not versed in death. We've hidden it away. We have no answer for death. But you cannot live a life like that, can you? Knowing for certain that my life will have an end to it. If you want to find significance and purpose and peace in life, you must have an answer for death. An answer that has hope. And so that's what this passage is all about. I'm going to touch on three points in this passage. Number one, what is our situation now? How do we understand the reality of the world that we're living in right now? And then number two, what will we be? What is the hope that we have in Christ? And then finally, number three, what shall we do? What are we now? What will we be? And what shall we do? Well, let's begin with point number one. What are we now? Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 has been going through the reality and centrality of the resurrection. That Jesus has come, Jesus has died, and Jesus has risen again, proving that he is the Son of God. And somebody asks the question in verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do do they come? In other words, yes, Jesus has risen from the grave, but Jesus is God. What about us? 
What is to happen to us? Now keep in mind the Corinthians were living in this Greek world in which the body and its passions and desires were viewed as bad. That ultimately the goal of life was to escape the body and all of its badness. But Paul in this passage brings up a new solution. That we are not to leave the body and be liberated from it but rather to receive a new body. And so Paul begins making this argument, answering this question about how are the dead raised and what kind of body are they to come. And he begins by pointing out that there are two types of bodies. There are earthly bodies and there are heavenly ones. Verse Corinthians 30, verse 39, for not all flesh is the same, meaning earthly flesh, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. In other words, there is this class of earthly bodies and to be sure there are different types of flesh but they all fall in the same category they are of the earth they are of the dust they are made indeed there is a commonality between all species in terms of the different elements that make up the fleshly body but then he goes on with verse 40 there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies but the glory of heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. Now when we hear heavenly bodies, what we instantly go to is we think of the celestial bodies. And further, it's easy to draw that conclusion because Paul goes on speaking about the celestial bodies in the next passage and there are differing amounts of glory in them. But Paul is not talking about heavenly bodies in this when he's referring to heavenly bodies. He's referring to bodies that have been transformed. Bodies that are not, so he's not talking about the planets, he's talking about resurrected bodies. He's talking about bodies that have moved to another plane, if you will. Like Jesus, the resurrected man. And he's saying that these heavenly bodies, meaning resurrected people, that there is a difference in glory between heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. Because the earthly body is sown in dishonor. It's sown in weakness. And it's perishable. In other words, our earthly bodies, because they are of the earth, they are frail. And they are perishing. They are sown in weakness. And whether it's as a small child watching them try to learn to walk. And then growing, it's all interesting, isn't it, when... People come and, uh, you know, we go into a store and they see my children and, wow, look how they've grown. And they look the epitome of strength, but they aren't, are they? They have their own sets of problems. You like epitome, I like that. Epitome, all right, epitome. Um, because we are on a slow, slow decline, aren't we? Yes, my cells, all of them will be uh, reborn, if you will, in seven years, but they won't quite look the same. If you look at a picture of me from seven years ago, there are a couple more lines. There's a little bit more gray. There's a couple more nicks and pains because my body is in weakness and it is returning to weakness because it is perishable. There is a dishonor of some sort. Anyone seen that Bud Light commercial where the king gets out of his tub and he's like naked? It's a funny commercial. 
And he's talking about Bud Light or whatever, but he's walking around naked. And he, he walks to the window and someone yells, hey, put on some clothes. What is it about our bodies that we have to clothe them? They, we didn't, you know, it says in the beginning that they were naked and unashamed. There was a glory to their body that no longer exists. My father died several years ago of Alzheimer's after a 10-year bout with it, and I used to go visit my father in the nursing home. You need to understand that my father was an all-American baseball player. He was a four-sport athlete. He's in the Hall of Fame in the Rio Grande Valley, which is South Texas. Tom Landry's in the Rio Grande Hall of Fame. He was a tremendous athlete. And I would sit across from my father watching him eat his meal slowly, methodically, with great difficulty, cutting his meat. How is it that he could go from one state to another in a short span of 70 plus years? Because he had an earthly body. See, the reality is all of us have a shelf life. All of us have a date. And we don't know what it is, but there is most certainly a date. Because our ancestor, our earthly ancestor, who we all come from, is Adam. Thus it is written, as verse 45 says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. And Adam sinned, and we are Adam's children. And we have inherited his fallenness. Well, some say, don't put that title or that label on me. Well, my answer is very simple. Don't sin. Because how we live and how we act shows who we are, right? Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, the death came to all men because all sinned. We all are under the spell of death. And the sting of death, verse 56, is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So what are we to do with this reality? Sorry to bring such a downer at our dinner party called Redeemer Prez. But we can do what the world does. We can seek to build a castle, a heaven on earth that will stand the test of time. But it's a house made on sand, isn't it? For the tide is approaching. We can try to deny it and buy as many oil of Olay products as possible. And yet the wrinkles continue on. Rather than denying it or trying to stave it off, we must acknowledge the reality of the fallen, living, human, fleshly bodies we are in. If you were to go to a cemetery in France, a certain cemetery, you would find a tombstone written in French. Here is the epitaph that was found on one man's tombstone. Here lies the man who went out of the world without knowing why he came into it. What a stunning epitaph. And yet the reality is for many people you could stamp that on their tombstone. Coming into the world, having no idea who or why or what they are to do and be, and going out of it. 
My challenge to you is to don't be this person. Have you made peace with the present? Have you acknowledged the reality that your earthly body is sown in weakness? We should not be surprised at our weakness. We should not be surprised at dishonor. And we should not be surprised at death. We must acknowledge the reality without the heavenly man, without Jesus Christ, I am without hope in the world and death shall in the end rule over me. Because it's only when we understand the reality of who we are without him that we can look to and embrace the hope of who we will be in him. And this leads me to my second point. What you will be in Christ, if indeed you are in Christ and have come to him. Verse 36, Paul continues, You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Notice how Paul rebukes the person for even asking the question, what kind of body will we have? As if this should be obvious to you, believer. And Paul continues, it should be obvious to you because the world shows it all around you. And he starts to use an illustration from agriculture, doesn't he? He says, and what you sow, excuse me, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. In other words, principle number one, for something to live again or be reborn, it has to die. We take a seed, and what do we do to make it live? We bury it in the earth, deep in the ground, away from the light, and slowly, inexorably, mysteriously even, a transformation happens out of sight. And there is much joy when you peek down upon the soil and you see the green beginning to sprout up. It has to die to live. And secondly, verse 37, what you sow, what you put into the ground, is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. In other words, what you put in the ground is going to be vastly different from what comes out of the ground. There is a transformation that will happen. The reality is understanding the resurrection and what is to happen causes us to see a funeral in an entirely different way. A funeral of a Christian, the death of a Christian, is not the finality, but rather a germination process. A process of going down that they may rise and come up at the resurrection day. Paul continues, the first man was from the earth and a man of dust, and the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. The man who falls into the ground, if he is a Christian, if she is a Christian, is the man of dust. And the man who is to emerge is the man of heaven. It's the one like Jesus Christ. And he uses the picture of Jesus himself. The first man, Adam, yes, he became a living being. But the last Adam, Jesus Christ, more than simply a living being himself, became a life-giving spirit. 
Adam was born, was created by Christ. He lived. He brought sin into the world with Eve and he died and death reigned. But Jesus Christ came into the world as a son of Adam. And instead of dying and staying dead like Adam, he came to life. Because of his perfect life, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit that is responsible for giving true life to the world. And Jesus ascended into heaven and pours out his Holy Spirit on those who are his. It is Jesus that brings this new resurrection life into you and me through this germination process. And so Paul concludes, just as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I don't know if you remember, we were not there, but from the scriptures, what it was that Jesus looked like when they took him down from the cross. The scriptures tell us that he was marred almost beyond recognition. That his body had been so beaten and so traumatized that it might even be hard to recognize who he was. And yet the resurrected Jesus who came out of the tomb was entirely different. Now it's interesting this resurrected Jesus. It was clear the identity of who he was and yet at the same time, sometimes people that even knew him could not recognize him. Think as Jesus walked on that road to Emmaus with some disciples who knew him but couldn't recognize him. There was something different about him. His body was material. And yet at the same time as the disciples were in the upper room for fear of the Jews, Jesus appeared among them. It, as if he could walk through walls. And yet would make comments like, touch me, see me, do you have anything to eat? He was different, as we will be different. Because we belong to the parentage of the man from heaven. Just as we have borne the image of, man of, of the man of dust, verse 49, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Well, what does that exactly mean, flesh and blood? Does it mean we won't have flesh and blood? No, I don't think so. It means fallen flesh and blood. If you were to ask me what our cardiovascular system will look like in our resurrected bodies, I do not know the answer. I do not know what our circulatory system will look like. But I know we will be flesh, but a different flesh, a heavenly flesh. Well, this is great, Carlos. This is exciting. But how will it happen? When will it happen? How is it actually going to occur? Notice verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So there are two groups, ones who sleep and ones who don't. The, sleep, the ones who sleep are the ones who have already died before Christ comes back. 
and think of what it will be like for them. I don't know if you remember as a child falling asleep on the way home from a late night event. If you have children, you can certainly sympathize with this, right? When they're in the back and they're in the car seat and you're coming back from a late movie or a late soccer game and they slowly fall asleep and you go and you pick them up and they're, they're like a rag doll, they're limp. And you bring them in and you tuck them in their bed and they wake up the next morning incredulous. How did I get here? The last thing I remember, I was sitting there in my chair in the car and here I am now here. See, what Paul is saying is it will be like that for those who die in Christ. I remember the lights in the operating table and I woke up. Now even there we know that the souls of people go to heaven immediately, that there is already an awakening, but not a full awakening in the sense of their bodies have not risen yet. There's not a completeness to it. I don't understand how that works. I just know that we'll fall asleep instantaneously. But then there's another group that will be here at the last moment, at the sound of the trumpet, and we will be changed. How? In the twinkling of an eye. You'll blink your eyes and that'll be it. Just like that. A transformation from the old body to the new body. How is this possible? It's possible because of only one reason. When the perishable, verse 54, puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? When was the last time you were stung by a bee? I remember as a kid being terrified when those big bumblebees would come around and they would be around and I'd be out in the backyard with my dad playing catch. But you see, sometimes that bee would, my dad would start swatting around at it, right? And it might actually fasten itself onto my dad and sting him. Now let's say that bee was to come near to me. Would it be able to sting me? No. See, death only stings once. And Jesus Christ has taken the sting of death for us so that we can experience victory in Jesus Christ. So that when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that death is swallowed up in victory. For we can say to death in Christ, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? My son passed away, one of my sons. I have three wonderful sons. My oldest died several years ago. And when we were thinking of what to do in terms of burying or cremation, I, we chose to cremate him. And the reason we chose to cremate him is because I wanted my son's ashes 
to be as close to me and my wife as possible. And the reason I want my son's ashes to be as close to me as possible, because I know at the sound of the trumpet, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead will rise. And I want to be the first to see my son walk out of that room. Now I know that's silly in the standpoint of geography means nothing to the Lord. If your relative is buried long, a long way away in, a, in, a, in the instant, but I want to be able to see him in his resurrected body in the instant because my son believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and the sting of death has been taken for him and so he is, as Jesus says, asleep. There's really in the end only one question you need to answer in your life. Who shall take the sting of death for me? Have you made your decision? For someone must. And at some point, time will be up. Either when you walk out that door and someone accidentally takes a right turn instead of a left turn, or at the sound of the trumpet. If Christ is your Lord and Savior, He has taken the sting for you. And we do not fear death. If you're not a Christian, I urge you to take your time and to think. The scriptures say to set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do you have troubles in this life? So do I. And we will in this perishable body. Do you have disappointments in this life? I guess we should get used to them, right? It's part and parcel of this existence. Do we have regrets? Yes, we do and we will. But in the midst of that, we should be expectant and be watching. Because what God is calling us to do now, as he says in verse 58 and 57, to give thanks to God who gives us the victory. And to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, our labor is not in vain. We have a life to live while we're here on this earth a testament to the goodness of the Lord and every single thing that we do that is for him and in him shall not burn up with our perishable bodies but will be kept in the future. And the Lord will say to us, do you remember on that day when you did this? When you gave that cup of cold water? When you went to your job and you did it to honor me? When you loved that person who was unlovable? It moves along with us. Do you want to be superhuman? We all do. It's in Jesus Christ that we become who we were meant to be. It is in Jesus Christ that we can look at death and laugh. And it is in Jesus Christ that there is the victory. For there is no other name given to man under heaven by which we must be saved. So we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I hope you feel that way in him. 
No confidence in ourselves. All our confidence is in him. That is the inheritance and the blessing and the, and the, and the gift that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. May we walk in that victory today even as we're perishing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking the sting that the sting would not bite and bust dead, but rather through your life-giving spirit that you pour out the Holy Spirit into our lives that we may go down, that we may come up, that we may germinate into who you made us to be. Lord, and on this journey, as we experience weakness and dishonor in these earthly bodies, let us fix our eyes on you. And let us be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. For we know that how we live in this fallen body, when we honor you, that it goes ahead with us. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.